This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday. Or the, I'm sorry, it's Tuesday. Yeah, it is Tuesday, isn't it? I'm, Paul is out of town. I'm completely lost. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, Texas, and I think it's Tuesday. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions. Questions about anything that's going on in your life will help any way we can using the Word. And I pray that you will call. All you have to do is dial 210. 210- Three four zero ninety five eighty five. That's three four zero ninety five eighty five. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Numerically, that's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email us by emailing questions at calvarysa dot com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And remember, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, keep praying for Paula and the, the other pastor's wives who are with her. Um, got a, had a phone call last night. She said they're having a great time. The Lord is really speaking to their hearts. So I appreciate your prayers. And let's get right to the program. Um, we don't have really anything else to discuss. First question today is from Daniel. Nope, it's about Daniel. It doesn't say who it's from. It says, um, many on social... Oh, here's a question. Who does Daniel see in his vision in Daniel 10? Is it an archangel like Gabriel or Jesus? I don't think it's Jesus, though there are similarities in John's vision and revelation. But then whoever it is doesn't tell Daniel to get up when he bows down in verse 15, so this is throwing me off. Usually, you can tell if it's Jesus uh, or not because an angel would tell the person to get up and not bow. Uh, there's a lot of confusion about who this angel is. Um, as you mentioned, some because of the similarity of uh, the appearance of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1 believes that this is a, a Christophany or a theophany and appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. Uh, That cannot be true. Um, We know it can't be true because this angel needed help delivering the answer to Daniel's prayer. Remember that great vision from chapter 9. And this is an angel who was held up in the heavens by Satan himself. And that's why Michael was delivered to to help him get through. Uh, Jesus, of course, would have no problem, would need no help getting past the devil. There are others who say it's Michael, the archangel, uh, but Michael is identified elsewhere in this chapter and seemingly is distinct. So here's what I think. I think this is another angel, a great and mighty angel that Daniel is seeing here. Ezekiel chapter 9 um, also demonstrates that they are mighty angels dressed in linen. Um, some others suggest Gabriel, but that is just uh, just an opinion. We know Gabriel and we know Michael's name, but those are the only ones. The one thing that we for sure can take from this scene is that Daniel had lived a long time serving God and paid a steep price to hear what God has to say. Now remember, this Revelation chapter 9 was so, um, I want to use the word awesome in a terror, terror sense, um, that, that Daniel was as dead Daniel was dead, and to receive this revelation 
uh, like this comes only after a long sacrificial life following the Lord. Now, obviously, in chapter 10, Daniel is very old. He's been in uh, Babylon for a very, very long time. Um, Daniel paid a, a huge price for his faithfulness to the Lord. So uh, that's the only thing that we know for sure about um, this angel is that it's not Jesus. It doesn't seem to be Michael. And so we don't know who it is. I think it's interesting. Daniel chapter 10 is one of those chapters where we get a a, a sort of a a sneak peek um, behind the curtain, you know, into the the realm of spiritual warfare. And this was an angel, a powerful angel, and yet Satan himself still had the power to hold up the answer for three weeks. For three weeks, the prayer didn't get through the answer until Michael was dispatched by Jesus himself. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Now, here's another anonymous question. Um, Pastor Ron, many who are on social media these days are saying that everything that's happening to our country is judgment because we've completely fallen away from God. And if our nation as a whole turns back to God, that will fix everything, and the U.S. will be back on top and prosper. Yes, the United States has had some of its uh, founding with Judeo-Christian fundamentals, but most of the founding fathers weren't Bible-believing Christians, nor has the majority of citizens of this country ever been Bible-believing Christians. Nor has there ever been, or has the U.S. exactly been the nation of God in the last 250 years. Though granted, God certainly has used this country for good throughout our history, and admittedly, things have definitely gotten worse in the last few decades. What are your thoughts on attaining, on attributing, rather? Um, all that's going on is punishment because America has fallen away. Um, you know, Anonymous, in, in, when I get a question like this, we don't have the mind and heart of God on this. Uh, I do think America is being judged. I don't think that judgment is coming in the form of the things that are happening now. We are a country that has not only kicked God out of of our our foundation. Um, we mock Him, we sin, and we we brag about it. Isaiah chapter five um, talks about um, um, dragging cords of deceit through the public square. We we do that. I mean, all you have to do is look at a gay pride parade and you see that kind of sin. We, we have people, public people, very influential people, who are flaunting their sin in the face of God. There is absolutely no fear of God. We have murdered 65 million babies since Roe v. Wade became the law of the land in 1973. So certainly we've turned our back on God. You know the old song, God Bless America. Um, he did. He tried. And we thanked him by turning our backs on him and by devolving into more and more evil behavior year after year. So our country is going to be judged. I just don't think that COVID-19 is a judgment from God. I I think it is a, a virus that was created in China and either purposely or accidentally let loose and we're paying the price for that kind of hideous evil. Um, the lawlessness in our streets is simply a sign of the times of the end. We're in the last days. For your social media friends that are saying that if our nation as a whole turns back to God, that'll fix everything, they haven't read the Bible. I've just been teaching through Second um, Timothy, and when you get to Second Timothy chapter three, the, the, the verse begins with with Paul warning Timothy that mark this. It's a very solemn charge. He's saying, mark this in the last days. There will be perilous or terrible times, and then he describes life here getting worse and worse and worse. Now, that's not just in the United States; that's in the whole world. It's also naive to think that our nation is going to repent and turn back to God. Now, I'm hopeful for one more revival, one more huge move of God's Spirit in this world, and if not in the world as, as, as at large, then certainly here in the United States. 
But even if that were true, it certainly would not involve the majority of people. It would be a revival sort of gathering uh, the final call to Gentiles to get saved. So things aren't going to get better. And I think it's naive to think that our country is going to turn back as a whole to God. There simply isn't any evidence at all. I think what we're getting, Anonymous, is the country we've asked for. We've asked to be independent of God. And we are, I I think of Lord of the Flies when I think of what's happening in our country. When it's kill or be killed. Or when it's win in Rome, do as the Romans do. Well, when we ask God to be gone, to kick him out of our our hearts, our minds, our lives, our laws. I think the rotting corpse of America is what we're experiencing right now. Truth is, we don't do very well on our own. Uh, One final comment on this, you know, um, I think it's instructive for us in these last days to look, um, take a hard look at the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, um, God's people would sin they would be oppressed. Some would cry out to God. He would remember them and, and send a deliverer, send a, a judge, kind of a, an ancient world superhero. And then they would follow God for that generation, and then a new generation would come uh, to the forefront. And they would start the whole process of sinning all over again, chasing after God's, doing deplorable things. And over and over, the, the book of Judges uh, covers a period of time about 400 years. Now, that's older than our nation is. And they kept repeating the same mistakes. What we're doing now in the United States is adding to those mistakes without any pretense of calling on God. I mean, think about it. Governors those in authority on state, county, and local levels, including here in San Antonio, are closing churches. Now, we live in a state, thank the Lord, where our governor is a believer. And so we we actually have it better. I said in a program a week ago that that we actually have a, a greater responsibility because of that to proclaim the word of God. And yet still, right here in San Antonio, churches are closed. Right here in Texas, where we have the permission of the governor to be open, churches are closed. And the sad thing is that people are okay with that. Christians are okay with that. In my neighborhood where I do my running and stuff, I have to run on the same streets because I'm visually impaired. So I know the ground really, really well. Um, there is a, um, a a house with a sign stuck in the front yard. It says, Serving Others. Loving Jesus, Serving Others. What it means is their church is closed. And it's been closed since March. It's almost October. That's seven months. You've closed the door to people who need to hear the word of God. You've forced people to be isolated. And yet you have a governor that says, no, it's okay. So I think what we're going through is what we deserve. There is a positive spin to put on this. And that spin is simply that it is always in times like this when people's hearts are hurting the most and searching for God. And so we have a really unique opportunity to bring in the harvest. Pray that the Lord would send harvesters, we're told. And we have an opportunity and the church isn't capitalizing on that either. So that's my answer to the question. And uh, I, I know that doesn't sound very optimistic But if you've read the signs of the end, there isn't anything optimistic other than Jesus saying it's for such a time as this.
that you were created, that he placed this here, Acts chapter 17, I think it's verse 26, says that God has put us here at the time, first of all, who we are, where we are, at the time we're here to find him. And all we have to do in these last days is live a life that honors the Lord and as we honor him, then we also can be very fruitful for his glory. Good question. Thank you very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. By the way, I think everybody in the world knows this. There is a debate tonight on television. and We need, rather than to be radically partisan, what we need to do is be praying for those two men. One of them is our president, and, and the other one could be our new president. And as Christians, we need to pray God's blessings upon them. I know we have our preferences. Some of them are very, very strong. Remember, we're Christians, and we should not be disrespectful, no matter who wins. Gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We need to believe that in our hearts. So pray for those men. Uh, um, You know, it's difficult not to be jaded by the mess that's going on in our nation. The, the, the administrators, the leaders seem so lost. But we should expect them to be lost. They need Jesus. So please keep them in your prayers as you see the debate tonight. James said, Pastor on will Christians who are sinning miss the rapture? James, the one beautiful thing, the, the most beautiful thing, not the one beautiful thing, there's lots of beautiful things, but the most beautiful thing about the work that Jesus did for us on the cross is that um, we will, um, all of our sins, past, present, future, are forgiven. So if when Jesus comes, when the rapture of the church comes, if in fact um, the rapture happens and you're in sin, um, you're going to have to go stand before Jesus. You're going to go, but you're going to stand before Jesus and explain why. Can you imagine doing that? I can't. Now, we all mess up occasionally, but willful sin, choices to sin. I've said many times in this program, they sort of identify who we are. And if your choice to willfully sin against God, to willfully rebel against God, would seemingly point you out as somebody who might have known about Jesus but didn't really know him. That's between you and the Lord. But yes, all real born-again Christians are going to be raptured at the same time. And we hope and pray that's going to be soon. Let's go to Robert calling from San Antonio on line one. Robert, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. So, um, kind of on that on that note you were speaking on, um, I guess I, I have a question about, um, I guess, pray, praying for who to vote for. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so I, I think, you know, I, I've got a few Christian friends who um, I think they're, they're leaning towards voting Democratic. And, and honestly, I think it's just because they've always voted Democratic. Mm-hmm. And, and I, actually, I think I had one friend kind of give me the feedback like, like you, because I, I, I'm posting all the facts, you know, of how Trump and the Republican Party have done the most for the Christian faith, um, which likely would not have happened if there was a Democratic candidate in office. And um, so they're like, you know, I think I think somebody made a post like, well, you know, you should pray for who you're going to vote for. And uh, while I I believe that is true. I struggle with, well, what if somebody did pray to God and they got an answer to vote Democratic? And and, 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 I, and I know maybe maybe God, uh, is, well, I don't, I don't want to say he, he doesn't want to get involved in politics because I think he is. Um, <laughs> but but um, I, I guess it's also, I guess it also goes along the same line about like, like I had a friend, I had a friend who was struggling with uh, sex before marriage, and I had a friend tell her, "Well, why don't you pray about it?" And she's like, "Why do I have to pray about it? I know the answer." <laughs> you know, um, so, so, so it's like you know, 
are we these people that say, well, let's just pray about who you're going to vote for? Are they just? I've had I've heard another preacher say, like, you know, God doesn't want us to throw our brains in the garbage can. You, you, you know, let, let's look at the facts, and we can make a decision based upon the facts. But then, if I'm doing that, am I just disregarding faith? You know, it's like they're trying to say, just rely on your faith and trust God and don't fear. And, and yeah, I'm not, well, yeah, I'm not voting Republican because I fear, but I'm voting because of the fa- facts mm-hmm. and, and, the re- and the records and the policies, you, you know. And uh, so I guess, I guess I'm just not sure what sort of, where, where to go with that. Like, like if uh, somebody does pray and they, they, their prayer says vote democratic <laughs> yeah <laughs> it, i mean if that's what you if that's what you've always done yeah. is your is that is that really god's voice or is it uh just your your own bias you know <laughs> yeah robert let me let me take a stab at this because i've got some really strong feelings and and um um you, you know i try to avoid these things only because um, you, you don't want to alienate your audience, half of your audience, and no matter what side you choose, you're going to alienate half your audience. But but right. people say things. People say things like this. They say, "Well, I'm going to pray about who to vote for." They don't really know their Bibles. They don't have a a, a, a Christian worldview. And by that, I don't mean that Republicans' uh, platform is a Christian worldview. We know that's not the case. But it is impossible for somebody to say. To, to, to accurately say that God told me to vote Democrat, because if you look at their platform, their platform, what they stand for, is 100% contrary to the already revealed will of God. We have one chance, one chance, and, and, and with, with the, the latest addition to the Supreme Court that, that appears to be uh, pretty much a shoe-in to be confirmed, we have one chance to finally slow the tide of abortion down. 65 million babies we've murdered since 1973. And those babies have been aborted even, even to, the, to the last second when they're out of the womb. They've let babies who the abortions failed die on the table. We have one chance now, finally, to slow the stem of that. Would God ever say, don't take that chance? We have an entire generation Robert, who's being told that that homosexual relationships, homosexual marriage is 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 a good thing, transgender discussions are good things. We have one party that embraces that sin. How would you ever explain to Jesus when when you said, "Well, I prayed and I thought you told me to vote Democrat," and Jesus said, "Well, well, well do you think I would ever support murder? Do you think I would ever support a lifestyle that would send people to an eternity in hell?" And and those are just two issues, and there are so many more. Now, having said that, I want to make it make it clear that that there's plenty of sin on the Republican side. And you don't need to be a Republican to be a Democrat. But, but I think if you're going to vote your conscience, you need to make your vote, your, your vote count. And practically, we only have two choices. So I think the thinking person, and I like that you said you don't leave your brains at the door. Uh, the thinking man or the thinking woman who is a believer would say, which of these two choices most closely represents the heart of God as it relates to these issues? Now, I realize that our current president is a pain in the neck. And, and many of us as Christians are tired. He's embarrassing a lot of the time. He's embarrassing. Now, he's been effective in a lot of areas, but he's, he's, it's been embarrassing, the things he says, the things that he does. So we need to pray that he gets saved. We need to pray that Joe Biden gets saved. We need to pray for whoever, after the fact, is elected. We need to pray that the fear of God would fall on those people. And lately, especially, Robert, especially since we've been in Second Timothy for a while, I've really been praying that the fear of God would grip these men's and women's hearts, finally, once and for all. And I'm talking about a holy terror of God, because there is no fear of God at all in their lives. As Christians, we have this one opportunity. Not only do we need to exercise that opportunity to vote, but we need to vote in a way that, that best represents the heart of our shepherd. Now, we're not electing a pastor, and I realize there's nothing holy about the life Donald Trump lives. Um, but, but 
we're not we don't necessarily go to a Christian doctor. We want somebody who's a good a good doctor, a good surgeon. Well, we want somebody in that office. We want people in sen- in the Senate. We want people in the House of Representatives who most closely represent the heart of God as it relates to the issues that we're dealing with. And unfortunately, we've just lost it, and, and uh, you've got Christians writing and saying horrible things to one another. Let me also say one other thing, Robert, because we're about to be cut off here. Um, I, I've been for a long time encouraging Christians to get off the Internet and stop trying to convince people who to vote for. Leave that to God. It's where our faith, trust God. You make your choice. Let them make their choice. Let God deal with both sides of the issue. But getting involved in political arguments, as fun as it is, um, getting involved in these arguments is not advancing the cause of Christ. Hey, we'll be back in two minutes. Got a question for Pastor Ron and the Word to Stand On for Life? You can send it to him via email at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our program, 340-9585. Let me, uh, and, and again, I, I never want this program to do, uh, to uh, turn into a political broadcast at all. Uh, I have been the pastor here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio for 25 years. I've never told anybody who to vote for. We don't pass out voters' guides. We don't get behind the ministries that do. Um, we 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 teach the Bible, and we hope and pray that the Bible teaching will form hearts and minds, and 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 people think like Jesus. Now, Jesus is not a Republican. I want to I want to state that over and over. I have a friend, casual friend, who uh, is um, um, so invested in in what's going on in the border, and he talks about you, you Christians, and he's a professing believer. But but you Christians who are so pro life, well, why aren't you pro life down the border when you're putting taking kids away from families and, and locking them in cages? And 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 to him, that's just the height of hypocrisy. And, and there is a guy who would who's always voted. Um, the left side of the ticket and probably always will. Um, he responds to different things and I'm just saying that if you if you judge 65 million babies being murdered against the, the, the and, and when I say this please don't misunderstand the relatively insignificant number relative to the 65 million every life is significant but relatively insignificant compared to the 65 million murdered children. They're not even close in terms of impact. And we have a chance to do something about that. We need to make our votes count. Do you have to be a Republican or vote Republican to be a believer? Nope. But whatever choice you make, we're going to give a count of every idle word. My last thought on this is remember that when you're on Facebook and you're arguing with people about something as inane as politics. You'd spend the same energy. And Robert, I'm not just speaking to you. I'm speaking to, to all believers. If you take the same amount of time and energy telling people about Jesus then maybe some would get saved and the Holy Spirit then would be able to form their attitudes and opinions. So, thank you very much. I might as well get some of these out of the way right away. Here's another one. This is anonymous. Pastor Ron, do you think the government is overreacting to COVID? When do you think churches can be- get back to normal? Um, anonymous, I think we, we're getting pretty close to getting back to normal. Um you know, I, I can't wait for the day that I can look out and not see any face masks. 
Um, I, I can't wait for the day when I look at, at people and I, I, I'm not looking at fear in their eyes. Um, you know, when people come to the house of God, we want them undistracted. We want them focused on Jesus. It's just not possible the way things are now. You know, I'm listening to the government saying things like, well, you know, until at least the fall of 2021, we have no hope of things getting back to normal. I want you to think about that. That's a year from now. Are we willing to sacrifice another year of our lives to this craziness? Yes, I think the government is overreacting, but more importantly, I think they're overreaching. Our mayor, our county judge, who are they to tell us what to do? That's not their job. Their job, according to Romans 13, is to make life better for us. They're to do good things. Instead, what they do is they just cause fear. That's the epidemic that we're really having, Anonymous. It's, it's an epidemic of fear. And they're doing so much damage our economy, people's jobs, people's businesses will never, ever return to normal. And they think they're doing well. I just think as Christians, we've got to learn to live in a COVID-19 world. We've learned to live with the flu. We've got to learn to live with COVID-19. If you get it, you get it. God's grace will be sufficient. Now, nobody wants to get it. And I'm not talking about being careless. But never in the history of the world has healthy people been quarantined. Until now. So yes, I think they're overreach, overreacting, but, but the real sin, I think, is that they're overreaching. And we've got to make a decision as believers to obey God. I had somebody email me today, and they were talking about how horrible they think it is that churches, now they weren't talking about us, but they were including us, for sure. How churches are not going to the extremes to protect the people in the middle of this pandemic. And the comment was, I won't go back to church until I feel like it's safe. Is that what God would have us do? Is there anything that we do that we feel safe? I don't think so. I don't think so. What we've got to do is walk by faith. Again, that doesn't mean to be foolish or careless, but what it means is we've got to get back to normal. We've got to raise our children not to be afraid. There needs to be a healthy skepticism over the numbers that are coming and keep changing. I get so tired of hearing people tell me, well, we're following the science, we're following the science. We're not following the science. There is no science here. There's just distorted numbers and distorted information, everybody claiming facts, when in fact the truth is we know that we're to be in church. We're to be a part of a body. And I think we're running into a critical time. So I hope that answers your question. Let's go to Ray on line one. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Thanks for taking my call. Um, Hope you're feeling good. You at this cold, freezing weather? Did you have a couple of sweaters, <laughs> Ray? I'm so upset that summer's gone. I'm telling you, it's just I went out to run yesterday. I went out again to run today, and I'm just thinking, winter. Where did summer go so quickly? So, yeah, I'm struggling through it, but I'll make it. Do you, do you, do you have some thermal gloves and stuff? <laughs> I, <laughs> not thermal gloves. I've got some gloves. I haven't needed the gloves yet, but. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. Yeah, Um, that day's coming. I I was going to say something about the debate this evening. Um, I'm not even sure that it's going to happen because of the uh, uh, backing out of one of the people that Mm -hmm. said, oh, well, we'll... uh, We're able to test and this and that. That's too political. I have something other than that and uh, oh, with the fact that my dad's been 
in a nursing home for too long, but, you know, good that he's got care. Um, now that we're able to supposedly visit as opposed to before, not being able to see him for, gosh, over six months, I guess, you know, and I used to be able to go, you know, every day. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious if you have any idea as to where for me to go to find out anything about, I, I've been told that to visit or have anything, we've got the distance and the mask and all of the, you know, stuff like that. But uh, you, besides having a uh, negative COVID test that's not 14 days or at least 14 days or under, that uh, that is only good for one visit. And, and I don't understand what that kind of, you know, <laughs> hoop there is to jump through on that. And, and if you don't probably know what the answer to my question is, but uh, I'm, I'm curious as to is there somewhere or somebody in our body that would be able to enlighten me on what is more practical for me to go about finding out the real nitty-gritty. And I'm going to hang okay. up and listen on the radio. Thank you, Ray. God bless. I do know. In fact, I don't know the answer myself. Um, but we, we have a, a Matt in our church. We're, we're, we're going to be ordaining Matt uh, in December. Uh, he's going to come on our pastoral staff. But this is his business. He's in the the, the senior care business, and he would be the one to talk to. So um, um, ask Matt, uh, and and he could give you some direction about about the right things to do. Um, I, I don't even try to figure out what these directives mean, and and because the the rules are changing other places uh, from time to time, um, ask Matt, and he he would be able to give you some pretty clear direction. Okay, so um, I, I just, my, my producer just told me that Matt is listening to the program, and um, and he he's expecting to, to hear from you, Ray, so uh, talk to Matt. 340-9585, you know, one of the good things that's come of this is, is we've got a lot of people with parents in nursing homes, and they've been away from them for so long, but now they're able to to get back in and at least see them. And I know that's been such a relief for so many of them. Here is a question from Lupe. She says, when people reject the mark of the beast in the Great Tribulation, how will they survive? Well, Lupe, they're not going to survive well. Uh, most of them are going to die. But but remember that, that you need the mark of the beast to buy or to sell to do anything. So immediately, anybody who doesn't have the mark, you're not going to be able to go into a grocery store. You're not going to be able to go to a restaurant or anything else um, uh, to, to, to purchase anything. You're, you're cut off from commerce. Um, and so it's going to be hard. Now, I'm certain there will be um, Christian underground communities that, that rise up. Um, but um, their survival will only be day to day. Because, frankly, the people who do not take the mark of the beast are going to be the objects of uh, the Antichrist's wrath, and they're going to be martyred for their faith. We see them in the book of Revelation, early in the book, under the altar, crying out, How long, O God, till you avenge our blood? And uh, he just says, Just a little while longer, just relax. Um, but, um, you know, just like... We will, when we die, be in the presence of the Lord. So too, um, when they give their life in service for Jesus in the great tribulation, um, they too, the, the inner person, the, the spirit in them, will go to be in the presence of the Lord. But it's going to be so hard. You know, Lupi, I had somebody um, not too long ago say, well, you know, if the great tribulation happens, if the rapture happens, I'll know 
that what you were telling me is true and the rapture of the church is already happening and that's when I'll believe in Jesus. And I told him, I said, do you think now it's, it's, it's so easy now, it costs you nothing now to believe in Jesus and you won't do it. Do you think when it costs you everything to believe in Jesus, you're going to do it? I tried to convince him that now is that it'll never be easier than right now for you to say yes to Jesus. But now, and, and the real reason, of course, Lupe, is they want to sin. And as long as they want to continue to sin, uh, they're not going to be able to say yes to Jesus. So um, people will survive, but only on a day-to-day basis. Eventually, uh, they will be martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. Here is a question from Andrew. Um, You know, I'm not going to do this one. I'll do it tomorrow. I've had enough political stuff today and COVID-19 stuff. Let me go to Martin or Martha. She asks, is gambling a sin? Um, you know, Martha, the Bible doesn't say it is. But I think the motives for gambling are sinful. I mean, what's the primary motive? Greed. I want to get rich quick. I want, to, I, I want money, but I don't want to work for it. And so uh, I, I think, yeah, gambling uh, is a sin if the motive behind it is a sin. Having said that, um, you know, I used to own racehorses, and, and while gambling for me is a sin, I know uh, a lot of people on the backside of the, of the racetracks all over this country, including some of those famous jockeys uh, who are radical Christians. God has his people everywhere, so what we have to do is be really careful not to lump everybody together and say, well, because you're in a gambling industry, um, uh, you're not a believer. Um, We have to be careful about doing that. But Martha, gambling for me is a sin. It was. Um, It dominated my life before I got saved. Um, But honestly, the truth, um, since I got saved, is it just has never been a part of my life nor a desire of my heart. I'll still watch the Kentucky Derby or the, the, I think the Preakness is this this, uh, Saturday. Uh, I'll still watch those races on on um, television, I love the sport. I think horses are magnificent. At uh, one time, I wanted to 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 have a thoroughbred ranch. Paula decided too many flies, so she wasn't for that. But um, so there's nothing wrong with the activity. But but when we start looking for shortcuts, when we start giving in to greedy um, things like this, I think that's when we've got to be honest enough to say, you know, for me. This doesn't please the Lord. And, um, you know, one of our prime directives in the New Testament is to find out what pleases the Lord and do that. So, um, not a sin. Buy a lottery ticket. Not a sin. But always examine your heart and your motive first. Here's a similar question, just a different sin. Eric wants to know, is drinking alcohol a sin for a believer. Um, it's not, Eric, unless you drink too much. Um, it's not a sin unless God has asked you to um, get rid of it. Uh, it's not a sin unless your wife has asked you not to drink. Then it becomes a sin. Verse 14, or chapter 14, verse 23 of Romans. Said anything not of faith is sin. So just in the example I just gave, if your wife says, honey, when you drink, we don't like it. We've got kids. Won't you set a good example? Um, Roman, or Ephesians 5 says, husband, love your wife's way. Christ loved the church, giving himself up for, for you to refuse to do that is a sin. And you can flout your freedom all you want. Well, the Bible says I can drink as long as I'm not drunk. But your wife, the one that you promised Jesus you would sacrifice for, has asked you. Why wouldn't you do it for her? Without resenting the request? So again, if you drink moderately and your conscience doesn't bother you, then it's okay. But any of those other scenarios, and then it becomes sin. And it's something that you need to get rid of. You know, Eric, anybody who drinks every day is not in control of drinking, but drinking is in control of them. Anybody who gets angry when they drink or sloppy when they drink, 
You're drinking too much. That's a sin. Drinking moderately. There's no prohibition. But remember, we're servants of God and we're servants of his people. And we have to keep that in mind always. Thank you for the question. 340-9585. Jesus, uh, Iris says, uh, Pastor On, did Jesus stop being God when he came to earth? And did he stop being God when he died? Uh, he never stopped being God. God is eternal. God is immortal. God um, always is, always will be. What Jesus did when he took on human flesh in his incarnation, he veiled his deity. He laid aside his deity. And he did that for us. He did it in obedience to his Father, but he did it for us. So he didn't stop being God. He simply, Philippians chapter 2 says, he simply laid his deity aside. In other words, Jesus walked this earth the same way you and I do, led by the power of the Holy Spirit in obedience to his Father from heaven. He said, I only do what I see my Father do. I only say what I hear my Father say. I find it incredible. I say this every time when I get a question like this. Jesus had no independent thoughts. It was all about doing the will of his Father. So he didn't do miracles ever to benefit himself. When he healed people, when he walked on water, when he pulled gold coins out of a fish's mouth, those were the things that the Father in heaven told him to do. So he laid it aside. He never once pulled the God card. The only time that happened was on the Mount of Transfiguration, and of course, that was an enormous miracle, and um, God the Father had a reason for that. He sent Moses and Elijah to tell Jesus the things that were going to happen to him in Jerusalem. I mean, he was armed with all of the information that he would ever need. So um, he didn't stop being God. Now, when he died, when he died, Iris, the only part of him that died was his humanity. Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. Now, that's confusing to a lot of us. That means 200%. That's impossible. But he was 100% God and 100% man. The human part of him died as a perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world. For you and for me, he was punished and he died. But the real Jesus, Almighty God, when he said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Well, of course, Jesus continued to live as God. One of the big stumbling blocks, Iris, for, for his disciples and for others was that, like us today, we can't imagine God dying. They knew who he was. They believed it. I always think of the Emmaus Road disciples. We all believe that he was the one. And their hopes were just ripped from them when they watched him die. And so hopeless were they that they forgot what Jesus told them on the third day, I'll rise again. We always need to remember that on the third day, he'll rise again. We're almost out of time. I think we're inside three minutes now. So here is an anonymous question. Yeah, just now, three-minute warning. Um, why do Christians talk in a way that most people, especially unbelievers, cannot understand? I can take the whole three minutes and a whole bunch more with this one. Anonymous. It is one of my most frustrating things why we don't talk normal. I remember as a brand new Christian, I, I was six months old in the Lord. I knew I was called to be a pastor. A friend of mine said, well, I, I meet with some pastors, so why don't you meet with us? And you can kind of hang around and we pray together. And I thought, well, that'd be great. And we had this really nice conversation. Then we started praying. And all these guys who only moments ago were talking normal were suddenly completely different. It was like, what happened to that other person? And, and, and I, I just never could understand that, even from a, a brand new Christian perspective. That's how important it was to me. And when we say Christian things... Um, 
why we're, we're just completely eliminating the unbeliever's ability for us to understand. So I don't know why they do. They do it because they hear it in church. Um, you know, when somebody says, um, um, how are you doing? Instead of saying, I'm doing fine, thank you. Better than I deserve. What does it mean? Of course it's better than you deserve. That's, I just asked, how are you? I, I really wanted to know. So I, I encourage people to avoid Christianese as much as I can. Just be normal. And by the way, do that when you're praying as well. I think we've all got these recording devices. If you know how to use your phone, record your prayers sometimes. Forget it's on, but turn it on just so you can hear. And just go through normal prayer. And listen to your prayer. You're going to find all kinds of Christianese in your prayer. Oh, Lord God, Almighty God, I just this and I just that. Instead of just talking to Jesus, your prayer time would be so much more fruitful if you would just talk to Jesus. And it wouldn't be such a burden. It wouldn't be such a a hard work. So, Anonymous, I wish, like you, that they wouldn't. But people don't listen to me. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Please pray for Paula and the girls, the other pastor's wives. And I know they would appreciate it. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing, at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Oh,